1: This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Hello and welcome. Thank you very much for downloading or simply pressing play. It is episode 121 of We Are Going Up. Let's be honest, everyone's favourite hour of the week. I'm Mark Crossley and alongside me is a man who on Sunday night was living it up at the 2014 Football League Awards in London, Mr David Cameron Walker. Hello. <laughs> so, how are you feeling today, sir? It's been a difficult day. You um, were you all suited and booted and everything. Yes. Now, how was it? Tell us all about it, because I'm guessing that no one listening, unless there's any managers or players or sponsors listening, have ever been to the Football
2: League Awards. And where was my invite, by the way? I, I did try as I may <laughs> to, to get you. So you got into the Unfortunately, didn't you? yeah, I only had one place. Um, right at the right, at, we were. Of saw your the, picture. The, the, yeah, the fine people at Skybet um, So we were right at the, obviously them being the, the title sponsor of the football football league. We were right at the top, literally underneath uh, Manish and Haley McQueen, who were presenting the awards. Did you speak to them? I d- I did speak to Haley McQueen actually. Uh, How I did, much did you? I did to drink by this point. Yeah, it's best it best uh, forgotten about that conversation. I didn't manage to get uh, catch up with Manish though. He was a, he was a more approved more elusive.
1: You should have got a couple of them to do a little. I don't think. Hello, I'm Hayley McQueen, and you're listening to We Are Going
2: Up. Well, she got a rival podcast. Oh, I that's strange. She wouldn't. <laughs> don't have done mention it. them. Yeah. I forgot about <laughs> that.
1: Now uh, on the TV as we record tonight is uh, the Preston against Sheffield United game, and Dean Smith, the Warsaw manager, is doing the punditry. He was there last night. You just said no, not Dean Smith. Oh. Who do, who, Simon who, Thomas
2: Oh Simon Thomas <laughs> Yeah Thomas. I thought you meant Dean Smith No Simon Thomas was there He was having a lovely time Oh right um, okay. uh, Simon Grayson Yeah Preston manager was there Carl Robinson you said you spoke I to I had a good chat with Carl Robinson Because one of his uh, young players What's his name? Galloway, Galloway, Young Galloway, the, <laughs> right. the, the lad Galloway. I'll search. You who, carry on. Who, the reason, the, have a look for him. He won like the uh, League One. Brendan Apprentice, Galloway. Bre- Brendan Galloway. League One Apprentice of the Year. And in the in the little program, yeah, uh, where it sort of had everyone's names and what tables they were sitting on. I was looking through. So M K Don's Brendan Galloway and George Galloway. <laughs> <laughs> like it must be his dad or something. We were like, surely not. Is it? It? We'd, we'd known about that if it was. I don't think it was. Okay. Judging well, by judging by the, maybe um, we'll hear more stories from the Football League Awards a little bit later. And by the way, how
1: was your Cheltenham trip? We're not even started on that. Was oh, that? I mean, <laughs> actually, a lot more fruitful. it was okay. fruitful, well, maybe, much more fruitful. Did from you meet last with year. Did you meet with Jim? I didn't manage to. Oh know. no! Okay, well, we'll hopefully get Jim on a little bit later on the line to help us talk through another brilliant weekend for Leicester. They're on the brink of a promotion to the Premier League. Well, not not quite, but they're almost. Uh, they're certainly going to get there. Is what I'm saying. We'll also talk about uh, Sean Dyche, Notts County, Oxford in the mire and my trip to Southend. And we'll be focusing on the informed team in League Two since the first of January. Their record reads as follows: played 14, won nine, uh, drawn three, lost just two, six clean sheets in seven, and only seven goals conceded this calendar year. The best record of all 92 league clubs and they are, drum roll please, DC. York City. So we we'll are talking about Nigel Worthington's side a little bit later. They won 2-0 against Wickham on Saturday. They're only being kept out of the League 2 playoff spots on goal difference. Dave Flett, author of York City Fighting Back and York City writer for the York Press, will join us. Uh, but first, we are going to start at the Valley, where Charlton Athletic uh, moved off the bottom of the championship at the weekend. They are actually away at, uh, at the New Den, drew 0-0 with Millwall. Their second goalless draw in a week since the appointment of new boss Jose Riga, the 56-year-old former standardly-aged boss, took over the Addicts after leaving a consultancy role at AC Milan's youth academy it followed the controversial decision by new Charlton chairman Roland Duchatelet to sack Chris Powell following that FA Cup defeat to Sheffield United Chris Powell had been in charge for over three years and led the club to the League One title in 2012 so why was a fan's favourite supposedly on the verge of signing a new contract sacked so suddenly let's get the story uh, behind the scenes from a man who covers the club week in week out the deputy sports editor of the South London Press is Richard Corley and we're at least to say that Richard joins us on the line right now Rich first of all thank you very much for coming on the show uh, you said in your piece that the uh, uh, disagreement between Powell and the new owner had been brewing for a little while this is after he was sacked were you surprised at the news when you heard it last week or was it always inevitable it was going to end this way
3: yeah I think um, it, it was always inevitable uh, or certainly had been for, for a number of weeks I mean the situation as I kind of understand it is that um, a new owner came in. He, obviously, if you look at the players that have come in, they're from um, other clubs that he's either loaned them in from or they are parent clubs that he already owns that have come in as well. And my understanding of the situation is that basically Chris Powell was pretty much told that these players needed to be involved and needed to be playing um, for differing reasons. I think for, for some of these players, maybe playing games with a view to maybe getting transfers elsewhere, some of them obviously just brought over because they weren't getting a look in at their respective clubs. And I think there was always going to be an issue there because I think those players coming in, at least in the short term, weren't, I think once the management team looked at them, they didn't feel they were ready. But of course, there was still this pressure that was coming to bear, you know, why are these players not playing? So I think because of that, I think it was always eventually going to come to a head. Probably Chris Powell had to make a decision. Either he played the players and, and sort of followed orders or... Um, carried on doing what he, what he wanted to do which was manage the team in his own way so it wasn't a huge surprise, I kind of um, had indications that things were coming to a head and even prior to the Sheffield United game it was pointed out that maybe um, Chris Powell even if they won might not be there much beyond that so I think the result obviously helped the owner in terms of basically making his mind up but I think the writing was already on the wall
2: Richard can you... Um... Sum up the the atmosphere uh, at, you know amongst the fans at the club and kind of the mood since the departure of Chris Powell. Because we we did a bit of tweeting on the, on the day when he was sacked, and it certainly appeared to be uh, met with a, a chorus of disapproval.
3: Yeah, I think it, I think it was. I mean, obviously, the difficulty sometimes with social media, with Twitter, with <laughs> with forums, is that you don't always necessarily hear the absolute majority. So you do get. Um, sometimes a vocal minority. But if you base it on the kind of reaction, I don't think there was any real groundswell of of opinion that Chris Powell should go. I did a poll on Twitter going back a few weeks back saying, you know, should Chris Powell get a new contract? Um, Should he stay on? And it was pretty much a resounding yes. There were a few that said no, but we are really talking emphatic stuff (laughs) when you consider where Charlton are on the table. So the only thing that surprised me a little bit, I'll be honest, is that I was a little bit surprised that there wasn't a little bit more of an atmosphere um, at the home game last week. There was, uh, in the third minute, obviously, to reflect the shirt number he wore, there was a a sort of chant of Chrissy Powell and the, the fans stood up and applauded. But there was still a real sort of onus on back in the team, which I can kind of understand because of the position they're in, but uh, the owner was there, he was in the director's box, and I just wondered if there would be a bit more um, heat on him for, for a decision he'd made, because I, I think if you ask most fans, they realise that Chris Powell had been managing in very difficult conditions for the last... 18, 19
1: months. Well, maybe we'll go on to that in a second. Let me just read some tweets out from uh, a few of our listeners. Uh, Tim Edwins was the only real one, actually dissenting voice. He said, "A good decision in my eyes." He's only won six out of thirty league matches. Uh, but listen to these: uh, Jonathan Lewis, a bad decision. He had very little to work with. Couldn't keep his best players. The club's been in trouble for a while. He was the stabilizer. Tom Bristow, uh, upon a recent fan forum, had only ninety-five percent backing for him. The man is a Charlton legend. Chris uh, Lockyer: Words can't describe how most of us are feeling at present. He's the only man for the job Andy Moore I don't think I'll ever see another manager at Charlton who is more popular with the fans absolutely disgraceful decision so just that from that little brief sample that sort of proves what you're saying tell us about the problems he's had then over the last 18 months and why this job has been so difficult for those people that have not been following the the whole story at Charlton
3: yeah sure well obviously you probably need to go back to the the season before the season they won the league one title and um, you know finished with 101 points that season Chris Powell did have some funds to actually work on the team. They sold Carl Jenkinson to Arsenal. That was invested back into the squad. And they obviously he went out and he identified players that he wanted and that happened and obviously we know what happened off the back of that. After that, there have been some key changes behind the scenes. Peter Varney, who was the former chief executive during Charlton's heyday uh, when Alan Kerbishley was there, he was very, very keen on bringing Chris Powell in saying, this guy understands the club, he'll get the fans united. Uh, you know, there was quite a lot of disillusionment under Phil Parkinson. So he had kind of backing then there. Peter Varney left, didn't see eye-to-eye with Tony Jimenez, who was the man that was calling the shots over there prior to the Châtelet taking over. And once they got promotion, that's when the problems really began. Because if you look at what Chris Powell has done, he's had very, very little money to spend. He didn't pay out on a transfer fee, really, um, once the team got promoted. He bought in some free signings, and he kind of worked the market as best he could. And last season, they managed to finish ninth. But there was this surge at the end of the season, which... Just gave the table, I mean, they, they finished where they finished, three points off the playoffs, ninth place. But if you look at it, it was a little bit of a false position. Now, in the summer, the investment was rained back even further because Tony Jimenez was looking to sell the club. They were in the process of trying to do that for a number of months, and the money was basically drying up. And because of that, Chris powered had even less to spend. You saw players go, Ricardo Fuller, who I think he would have um, ideally liked to have kept, There were some on the fringes that went, like Bradley White Phillips and Danny Haynes. But I think Chris Powell was hoping that a takeover would happen so that he would have a chance to finally bring players in. Because even last season, he'd earmarked players after promotion saying, these are the kind of guys we should go for. David Mailer before he went to Hull, Stephen Quinn before he went to Hull, Dean Hammond before he went to Brighton. And there were all these players that he'd lined up that he basically couldn't couldn't sign because there wasn't the funds there. Now, he kind of lived with that, but I think really the last summer was the one that was a real issue because there was such a lack of investment. Before the season started, a week before the season started, he only had one senior striker on his books, which was Jan Kermagan. And eventually the club bought in Marvin Sordell on loan. Simon Church came in on a free. But it was all done very last minute. And I think he's, he's really had that to deal with. Tony Jimenez was difficult to deal with. I don't think that was ideal for Chris Powell and I think you look at it just the last 18, 19 months he hasn't really had a lot of freedom he's had to work with the existing squad and I think he would probably admit privately that he knew the squad needed a pretty drastic overhaul to really kick it on to the next level
2: I mean it does certainly sound like he's had a lot to deal with you know, quite a lot of upheaval I mean he did fantastically well, didn't he, initially to, to get all those players that... Um, I know they signed so many players in the League One season to get them to jail so quickly and win that division so comfortably. But do you think that perhaps um, Chris Powell, almost a victim of his own success last season, the overperformance really of, you know, at the end of the season, only just missing out on the playoffs as it happened on the final day in terms of points um, total. And then this season, there's been such a drop-off. Um, do you think perhaps he's overachieved last season, perhaps arguably underperformed a bit this season and kind of the truth is somewhere in the middle.
3: Yeah, I suppose, I mean, I, could, I, de- I definitely think the last season's finish had people sort of thinking that they should do better. I mean, I, I personally think last season watching them, um, they did overachieve. I think there, were, there there is a flip side to it. I mean, the football um, wasn't always the most free-flowing. There's been factors to it a little bit this season with the pitch, but I'd say that... Maybe because of, uh, I mean, they, they played decent football when they won promotion from League One, but um, I think it's been a bit more of a, a switch in the style of play. They went more direct in the championship, um, and I think, there was, I think there were reasons behind that, and I think it was to do with the fact that maybe he didn't feel he had the personnel to play it, but I think last season did kind of raise a little bit of expectation, but equally off the pitch, I think most of the fans were realists. I mean, you look at the forums and stuff like that, and... You look at what people were saying on Twitter, they realised that you could see it in black and white. Players weren't there. The squad looked weaker on paper at the start of the season. And obviously, recently, uh, uh, when De Châtelet took over, he inherited a couple of problems, players that were coming out of contract at the end of the season. But um, Jan Kermigant and Dale Stevens going um, in January, two of their best players, really was a, another telling blow, I think.
2: Richard, one, one final question on, on Chris Powell before we move into... Um or the new era, as it were. Despite everything you've just said, and, and it certainly does seem that like he has had a hard time of it, but is Chris Bauer, should he take some responsibility for the 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 you know the, the really poor performance this season? 29 points from 32 games as, as it stands, the the worst uh, goal-scoring record in the division, um, despite difficulties that he's had, surely he has got to work with what he's got and, and it hasn't been good enough this season.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's part of the reason why they've made the change um, as well as the fact that I don't think he quite fitted into the the kind of structure they had. I mean, uh, the, the problem with, with, with Charlton not scoring has been an issue really since, they, since they've come up and I don't think they've totally addressed that. I mean, I was talking to Jan Kermagant yesterday uh, for a bit for the paper ahead of, ahead of the game on Tuesday and he was kind of saying that at Bournemouth he... Um, already in the games he played that had four or five chances in a match, maybe more. And he said at Charlton, you know, you quite often come off the pitch and you'd only have one chance, whether it be a header or a shot. And obviously it puts a huge, huge pressure on those players. So I do think if you're looking at it critically, I think um, Chris is a fairly cautious manager. He's He's a deep thinker, perhaps maybe sometimes doesn't go for the jugular enough. So I can certainly see that. But I think there's a flip side to that. Defensively, they've always looked very well drilled. I know that that doesn't necessarily float the boat of supporters who want to be entertained all the time. People talk about this season, the points total. They they haven't they haven't got a decent total. They have got those games in hand, and you just feel four of them make, on Millwall. Yeah,
1: it's, it's obviously a big advantage.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I mean, they've obviously got to got to do something with those games. And They've got some difficult matches, you know. There's no getting away from the fact they've got some tough, tough matches coming up. But they have got those games in hand. There has been, there has been little side issues. The, the cup runners, obviously, which, let's be honest, they were hugely disappointing in that game. But, they, you know, there's been other issues with the pitch as well that have meant a couple of games very early in the season, one getting sort of uh, abandoned. Doncaster, they, wasn't it? Yeah, so they've, got, they've had little issues that have kind of stockpiled things up. So... I suppose maybe to turn it around, if if they play those four games still in that position. But, I mean, uh, Millwall, uh, an example, I mean, someone was saying to me that they've got a wage bill that's about three million plus more than, than Charlton a year. So if you look at the league table, I think by and large there are exceptions to the rule, but it begins to mimic a little bit the Premier League in that the teams that generally do spend more, are, as I say, exceptions, maybe Burnley, um, there's teams down the bottom, but by and large, Yeovil, Doncaster, the smaller payers are down the bottom and I think you'd find that Charlton's budget is sort of bottom three or four so that's the reason why they find themselves where they do.
1: OK, so let's talk a bit about this uh, this new era as Dave said. So uh, Roland Duchatelet, the new chairman, there's quite a good uh, piece on in the Football League paper at the weekend. Um, he was, um, uh, so he's brought in uh, uh, Jose Riga, who is the new manager. So, started off with two nil nil draws this week. Uh, Riga was a former manager of standardly age, uh, but when he was there, there was quite a lot of player unrest and poor performances. And he's quite interesting, isn't he? Because he's got sort of a slightly different methods uh, to what a manager, perhaps who's managed in the Championship for a long time, would have. He's very keen on players training their brains just as rigorously as they train their muscles. Um, so, he's quite big on that side of the game. Do you think that's what you need in this situation in a relegation battle?
3: Well, it's very interesting, isn't it? You look at um, you look at managers and, and look at the situation that Charlton are in. Do they need somebody that's got a bit of know-how of, of of what this entails and maybe a bit more experience? Because just quickly touching on Chris Power, he did have quite a, a, an inexperienced backroom team in terms of that he didn't have an older head alongside him. He had Alex Dyer. Now this guy's come in, and we've got to wait and see. It's a big call by Roland de Chatelet. He's not afraid to make decisions. He feels he knows the right way. So far, Jose Riga, we don't know too much about him. He's been quite sketchy. There's been a couple of press conferences. Uh, one was straight after the game on uh, his first game in charge. He didn't do a press conference before that because obviously he came in quite late in the day. Um, even on even on um, uh, Saturday after Millwall, um, he didn't really talk for too long. There was this talk about the fact that he'd, he'd been in working with Mourinho at um, uh, previously, uh, Jose Mourinho apparently was shown a photo of him last week and said, I don't know who the guy is. <laughs> there's, there's all this kind of stuff that's going on. I mean, the, the worry is, is he just there because he will basically take direction from higher up, maybe direction that Chris Powell wouldn't? Or has he really got a tactical now? So, I mean, so far, Charlton have looked defensively solid, but I'd argue they probably did before. The problem for Charlton has been scoring goals. And they, they played some freer-flowing football. There was some confidence about their play at home last week against Huddersfield in the first half. It dried up a little bit in the second. So it's still such early days. But obviously he's got a different approach and he's happy to take on this, this head coach role. What's the, um,
2: the reaction been from, from the fans in terms of the new ownership and, and the direction that the club seemingly is going in? You know, Is there a concern that they might lose you know, uh, all the talk around Watford was it that we're going we're to lose our soul, we're going to lose our identity, we're going to become a feeder club for Udinese and then the same sort of things I'm seeing said about Charlton now by, by the various dissenters. is you know, what, what is the, the mood of the fans in terms of that respect?
3: Yeah, well, I think it is exactly that. I don't think they want to lose what the club is about and the thing that, one of the things going back to Chris Powell is that, you know, we can say maybe that his popularity as well helped him for what he'd done as a player there and, that maybe gave him more time, more understanding. But, you know, I think you've got to say that he maybe deserved that for the kind of playing career he had and the affinity he had with the club. So already you've lost a manager that had an affinity with the club. And that's, um, that's a first body blow. And then there's the question marks about where it goes from there. I mean, Roland de Châtelet is very honest and very open about the fact that I think he did an interview the other day in which he said if a player does well here at Charlton... We could, you know, they could go and play Champions League football at Standard Liège. And if there's a player at Standard Liège that's not quite ready, we'd, we'd, you know, we'd, we could move them on to Charlton. Now, that's all well and good saying that, but the fans obviously see that all of a sudden you're kind of, you're kind of watering down your focus on one club. And I think that's a strange thing for Charlton fans to get used to. The other thing to mention, of course, is that at the time that the Châtelet took over, um, everyone was hugely positive because I don't think it was any secret that the money was beginning to to run out um, under the previous regime, and I think that the worst case scenario would have been that the club would eventually have gone into administration. So I suppose this guy, if you look at it, Roland Châtelet, because of, he's bought the club, unfortunately, you know, as owners they've got a right to say, well, this is kind of the way I want to do it. I don't think it will sit well with the fans who who still want to have some kind of control. I mean, they've got an an ACV on the Valley to try and make sure that they at least are forewarned if there's going to be any sort of move away from the Valley. And of course, years ago, the the supporters campaigned very successfully to get back there. So I don't think the fans will sit there quietly if they don't like the direction the club is going in. And obviously, at the moment, people are saying, OK, you've made this call. Let's see where it takes us. So I think there is still an element of, of, of people saying, we'll, we'll see. We don't agree with what you've done with Chris Powell, but we'll, we'll see where you take it.
1: Thanks very much for coming on the show, Rich. We appreciate that. Good to talk to you. No problem. Thanks, mate. That is uh, Richard Corley, who is the Deputy Sports
2: Editor at the South London Press. Next, we're going to... Before you finish... Oh, sorry, go on. There's one thing I wanted to pick out. Oh, go on. Uh, just from this article on Jose Riga in the Football League paper, when he's talking about his training methods. Some of which do seem to be quite innovative and, uh, and certainly uh, unorthodox, perhaps. But uh, another aspect of the training is sense ball, which is basically a ball in a net that can be kicked repeatedly to improve technique. Do you remember those things? I, used to, I had one as a kid, <laughs> literally like a ball on the, on the end of like a little piece of elastic and a net, and you just kick the ball repeatedly. Rich, do you it's know just anything about this? Bought a job this? lot off
3: eBay. No, <laughs> see what you've done. You've missed. You've missed a trick there because basically, if you if you'd thought about it, you could have actually. Um, sort of brought this in as a new innovative training uh, method and you could have made plenty of money out of it and suddenly find yourself as manager of uh, that That's a little bit bad. I mean, we, we, obviously with Jose Riga, we're going to have to see where it goes. But, um, yeah, I had, I had heard about this. And when you kind of Google him, and I mean, because I, I think, to be honest, when he was first appointed, I think pretty much everybody was Googling and looking <laughs> to see what we could find out about him because he's not a household name. Obviously, he's known a bit... Uh, back in Belgium, but um, uh, Michael Morrison came in and did the, did a player interview after the game at Millwall on Saturday and was we, we asked him, you know, did you know, had you heard of, uh, heard of the new manager before he came in? And he was honest enough to say, no, I, I didn't. Obviously, we heard afterwards and we kind of found out a bit more about him, but, you know, even the players... Didn't, didn't know who he was before he came
1: in Well there you go we'll, we'll see how it goes over the next couple of months that was uh, uh, Richard Corley Deputy Sports Editor at the South London Press next we are going to switch our attention uh, to the tightest division in the Football League that's League 2 as the Minster Men march on <laughs> so as we record just 33 points separate the top and bottom clubs in League 2 which uh, if you're interested compares to 51 in the championship and 46 in League 1 so basically it's very close in League 2 and the more you look at it the tighter it gets 16 teams separated by just 11 points so any side who puts together a decent string of wins before the end of the season can make a claim for the playoffs and that is exactly what is happening at the moment with York City Nigel Worthington's men are unbeaten in their last 8 games a run which has included 6 wins and 4 wins in a row the latest being 2-0 against Wickham at Booth and Crescent on Saturday and after sitting level with the drop zone on New Year's Day they're now outside the playoffs on just goal difference alone so can they do the unthinkable and achieve a second promotion in just three years against all expectations and pleased to say that on the line right now we've got Dave Flett the author of York City Fighting Back and York City writer for the York Press Dave thank you very much for coming on the show uh, first of all tell us about the win on Saturday and that first half in particular was that as well as York have played all season?
4: Yeah, it was a very impressive 45 minutes um, full of exciting, entertaining, attacking football. I know two of the players, Key Lowe and Russell Penn, have said it's the most entertaining 45 minutes they've ever been involved in. And um, both of them are, um, let's say, getting towards the, um, the peak <laughs> of their careers in, in their late 20s. So that, that's that's quite a statement for them both to make and yeah it was was a professional performance after the break they were were playing into a bit of a stiff breeze in the second half um, but got the job done they've been able to rely on the defence pretty much since the turn of the year to keep clean sheets I think they kept nine clean sheets out of 14 since the start of 2014 so once they were 2-0 up at half-time, you really felt confident that they would go on and win the match.
2: Dave, those, those stats are very impressive since the turn of the year. 1-9, drawn 3, lost 2, 30 points from 42, only 7 goals conceded since January the 1st, which is the best record of all 92 clubs in England. Um, only one goal conceded in the last 11 hours. It's quite remarkable, really. What, what exactly has Nigel Worthington done to, to bring about such a dramatic turnaround?
4: Yeah, I think really you have to look look at the personnel. It's a very different side to the one that started the season. I think in Saturday's starting line i I'd be right in saying that seven of the players have, have been signed during the course of the season and six of them probably from about mid-November time with um, four or five in the, in the January transfer window. So I think he's, he's a very astute manager at identifying and, and addressing problems and, and that players that have come in the the likes of Nick Pope the goalkeeper the two centre backs Keith Lowe and John McComb have have really made everything solid at the back you've got Russell Penn in midfield who's done a really really good job anchoring in there Will Hayhurst has given them another option on the flanks he really played well on Saturday although it was his best game for the team since coming in on loan from Preston and you've got Adam Reid as well in front of Russell Penn in midfield who's just given that right blend I think of um, attacking and defence in, in in that engine room. So um, it, it has largely been down to the signings that the manager's made. But also some of the existing players have done really well. Michael Coulson was, was out of favour. He couldn't even make the bench for 14 games earlier in the season. Um, he's been given his chance and he, he's now keeping the likes of Wes Fletcher and Ryan Jarvis, who are the top two scorers this season, on the bench. So it's been a big effort from... You know, from from the whole squad, not just the eleven players that have started the last five games.
3: I've been
2: hearing a bit about the uh, the goalkeeper, Nick Pope, on loan from Charlton. Only twenty-one, obviously very impressive in terms of the stats defensively. How 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 imp- uh, impressive has he been individually?
4: He's done really well. I mean, he's um, he's he's at a great advantage because he's about eight foot two, and that, that obviously <laughs> helps when you're a goalkeeper. No, seriously, he's six foot seven, but he, he's got a fantastic reach and. Um, Obviously, with League Two, you get lots of lots of crosses into your box, lots of high balls into your box, and and he comes and collects probably ninety-five percent of them. No, no matter where they are in his area, you know he's not afraid to come 10, 12 yards off his line and collect a high ball, and that that shows excellent judgment. I think for a guy of his age at twenty-one, yeah, he looks a real prospect. And what what I like about him particularly is when he does make a mistake, the five percent of the, the times when he doesn't collect the ball or he drops it or he mistimes a punch. He doesn't let that stop him from coming for the next one, which um, again shows... Good strength of character for one of his of his um, tender years.
1: Now, um, I think it was uh, was it about this time last season? Maybe sort of maybe a little bit before when Gary Mills was sacked when York were I think they were eight teams. So uh, when they were really struggling just before the new year with uh, Nigel Worthington, was there ever a realistic chance they were going to uh, change the manager? I mean, did the board deserve credit for, for sticking with him?
4: Yeah, I don't I don't think the board for one second. Um, knowing them as I do, I have a good relationship with the board at York and um, you know, obviously in regular, uh, <coughs> regular contact and um, they have been confident from the first day they appointed Nigel really that they got the right man and even though that it, w- it was a tough time they, they, had, they had two bad runs really before Christmas, one at the start of the season and, and one going into the new year I don't think they won a the game in 11 matches but the board were always very confident that that Nigel would turn it round, and um, they worked very closely together as well. The board have got a good relationship with the manager, so they knew what he was planning in January, and they were. I think that I think they were all itching to get to January and felt that you know they could make the changes then that would would bring about this improvement in in results and performances.
2: Uh, going back to, to what Mark just said about uh, you know, this time a year ago when the managerial change, like I can remember when we covered it. There was uh, some concern at the time that. Uh, replacing uh, Gary Mills with Nigel Worthington was going to have a detrimental effect on the style of play. Uh, and I had seen some criticism since you know last season and the early part of this season that there the, the wasn't the most attractive free-flowing football being played at Booth and Crescent. Mm. But uh, since there appears to be perhaps a, a little bit of a recovery and, and maybe the style of play is, is improving slightly.
4: Yeah, I think people have to remember that before coming to York, Nigel I hadn't really worked at that level at all since since becoming a manager in 1997. I mean, he obviously started at Blackpool in League One um, and went on to better things, managing the likes of Leicester, Norwich, and, and Northern Ireland. So he was probably learning about that level of football when he came in. Um, he, he did that very quickly to get the team to stay up. You know, from a really desperate position last season. He perhaps, um, at the start of the season, having, having seen the little bit of League Two football that he had, and it, it was at a time of the season when everybody was scrapping for their lives, I think he probably um, probably went for the, for the more direct approach and, and signed a, quite a few physical, tall players, thinking that maybe that was the um, the best way of of achieving success in League Two. I think since then, he possibly... There's more of a blend now, so you, you know you've got two defenders in John McCoom and Keith Lowe who who don't hesitate to clear the lines when it's necessary. But also in in the, that final half or final third of the pitch, you've now got a lot of attacking flair and pace. And I think they've got a good blend of the the two. Really, they're very uncompromising at the back, very tough in midfield. But on the wings and in attack, they've got players who can can really hurt teams. Was, and, um, anybody who was at Saturday's game would would have had no complaints about the quality of the football on show.
1: I was going to ask you about the uh, the options going forward because there does seem to be quite a lot of them. Uh, Twenty six league goals between uh, Wes Fletcher, Ryan Jarvis, and Ryan Bowman this season, and you mentioned I think a couple of them only came off the bench on yeah. Saturday. Um, so how important is it that all those sort of stay fit for this uh, for this next period of the season because York could make the playoffs.
4: Yeah, I think it's um, great at the moment that you have the option of bringing your two top goal scorers off off of the bench, and all of a sudden both of them have a, have a little bit to prove when, when they're coming into the action. So obviously, the same side has been picked for the, the for the last five games, but the, you know you would imagine the likes of Wes Fletcher and Ryan Jarvis still still have parts to play um, during the last nine games. I, I just think it's great that you know this weekend they're going to Portsmouth, and it could be nil nil say after 70 minutes and you've got the option of bringing in Fletcher or Jarvis on, and not only are they going to be itching to try and win the game, but they're going to be itching to try and produce and, and play to a certain level so so that they can perhaps break into that side the following week. So, yes, um, they do have options in that, that final third. And then Michael Coulson's added to that because he's he's always been a winger at York City and he, he was always played out wide at his previous club, Grimsby. But since he, he's been converted into a striker in recent weeks, and and it's more or less the, the first choice up there at the moment, so he, he he's added to the options in recent weeks.
2: That that run in nine games to go it is quite interesting, actually, because you're you've still got four of the top six to play, which. On paper, I suppose will be hard, but also gives you an opportunity to take points and you know move up the table even further. But then also three of the bottom six as well, which you'd think were games where you're rubbing your hands together and thinking this is a real opportunity to to get maximum points. So it's all to play for.
4: Yeah, it doesn't always work out like that, does it? Sometimes at this stage of the season, the the games against the lower sides are going to be more difficult. And who knows? You can you can be playing sides who, who've already cemented their playoff spot. Or I know York are going to Scunthorpe
1: and what a day that just, could
4: be, yeah, yeah, I mean scuport might be yeah, that's true. home and dry then, so that they can all be very different fixtures once they come around um but obviously it's, it's it's great to be in this position for for York City fans, i mean we, as you as you mentioned earlier at the turn of Christmas, everybody was fearing a second mm. successive dog fight, and having been in the conference for eight years everybody knows that. You know, if you go back down there, it's, it's so hard to get get back up. So um, everybody thinks it's it's a bonus really now. And, you know, I think that's the way that the team are looking at, at it. The managers are looking at it. And, you know, it's, it's just a case of let's see what, what we can do in these nine games. Can we carry on what we're doing and, and see where that, that takes a team really
1: Well enjoy the rest of the season Dave Thank you very much for coming on Nice to talk to you no, you're Cheers mate Thanks. That's uh, Dave Flett The York City uh, writer for the York Press Right now it's time for My Club The bit of the show Where we give Football League fans 125 seconds to tell us all about their side All to celebrate the 125th anniversary Of the Football League And today it's the turn of Barry. This is We Are Going Up My Club in 125
0: seconds Hello I'm Craig Morley And my club are Barry.
1: So Craig do you remember Your first ever visit to Gig
0: Lane? Um, I don't remember the first visit. It was it's nearly 40 years ago now. I was about six or seven, late 70s, so I don't remember the game, but I just remember going to that and I've been going ever since, for me since.
2: Craig, you are one of the voices who commentates and calls the action for for the Shakers player, aren't you? So uh, what's uh, your most memorable piece of uh, of commentary since your time doing that?
0: Probably talking about ingredients on a biscuit packet. Um, it, it was a it it Ash- game against Accrington and it was absolutely terrible. <laughs> and we got to the, the point where we were just reading the ingredients off a packet of biscuits we had. It was that bad. Great.
1: You didn't think you were going to get that answer, no. did you? <laughs> um, Craig, your, your best moment supporting Bury over the last 30, um, 40 years?
3: Probably
0: either... Chesterfield in 2011 when Ryan Lowe scored that late goal that took us up that was a a memorable moment but I would say just about shaded by the Watford game in 97 when Mm. I was actually in San Diego so I had to wait until the next morning to open the, the back pages of the San Diego Tribune where in a little corner of the sports pages there was the English league results which surprised me pre-internet
1: days, so that was when yeah, exactly. so that was exactly. when um, Dean Kiley saved a penalty from Tommy Mooney
0: yeah. was it that was the
1: one Together, yeah, so I remember I, it well to get us right were you know at that game that? as well I
0: was yeah good uh, oh Watford of course yeah I think um, Wendy um, Toms
1: yeah Wendy it was Wendy <laughs> Toms wasn't it I was about to say that um,
0: you've got a favourite goal Craig Um, favourite goal probably Craig Madden which is taking you back a bit mm-hmm. it was a goal that they used to show on the TV on the, the Granada TV programme he scored against Stockport in the cup outside the box back to goal up on his knee turned around and volleyed it and that sticks in my memory
2: let's bring the mood uh, down a little bit uh, what's your worst ever moment if you can pick one there's been a few.
0: Uh, worse, moment. Well, going into administration wasn't a barrel of laughs, um, but I would probably say any game where Kevin Blackwell was managing, <laughs> yeah, so they were pretty awful.
1: Craig, your two minutes is up. Thank you very much. Very welcome. My club, in 125 seconds, we are going up. We've got the football league covered. Well, I enjoyed that, unsurprisingly. We'll have another My Club along next week. Remember, fans of Football League clubs, this podcast still needs you. I think we've got three more people, two more people lined up for the next couple of weeks. But after that, we need people, so uh, listen back a couple of weeks ago. We gave the full list of clubs that we need. Uh, get in touch. You can uh, tweet us at Waggy Podcast if you can help us out. And come on and talk about your club or go to We Up. dot slash contact. Hello, James Knight. Hello, Mark. Crawley. I've got to, got to stop calling you James. Hello, Jim. Uh, Jim's on the line from from Leicester uh, to uh, to come on for the uh, for the for the roundup. But uh, DC first. More football
2: league awards stories, please. Me and yeah. Jim want to hear them. Okay, and less uh, of me name dropping like an ass. More about, ad- more about what actually happened. Um, Danny Ings obviously won yeah. the uh, Championship Player of the Season. He's injured, <sighs> isn't he? <laughs> yeah, beating Danny Drinkwater and Ross McCormack. Um, I suppose when the shortlist was announced, I, I certainly was. I would have. Um, I, w- I would have wanted Ings to win it. Yeah, that but that I, was, I was surprised. No offence, Jim. That Drinkwater was on, and this is you know, because I don't watch Leicester week in, week out, and I understand from speaking to Leicester fans that actually drink water's been fantastic. But you would you would think that maybe you know, Vardy or Nugent or mm. you know someone like that would be the, the player that would initially spring to mind. So how how good has drinkwater been, Jim?
5: Really, really good. Our best player of the season just just in front of Vardy I'd say. But the Vardy thing is partly due to how much he's improved from one season to the next, yeah. which is something that I've talked about a few times before. Drinkwater's always been that consistent presence, but he does he does a lot of the stuff that goes unnoticed, and I think that's probably why he's not been maybe given the credit that he deserves this season because he breaks up play, but he also pulls the strings in midfield. He scored, you know, I think seven goals now this season as well, so he is chipping in in the attacking sense as well. But certainly for the first half of the season, his, his brief was very simple: he and Matty James would break up play and feed the likes of you know Knockart Dyer, Mahrez now, who's uh, who's on the wing, and then let them do their thing and uh, and. Play through balls and stuff to the strikers, but yeah, he is very, very good, and he he get my vote in the player of the year. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, it, know like in the the round. we
1: know that. We know that. Also, I meant his the player sorry.
5: of the world, not not <laughs> so, the actual football sorry. league player of the year. Obviously, a, get my vote for that.
2: He's got a great name as well. That's why that's why I like he has. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, um, the other um, the other players of the, of the season in their respective divisions: Adam Forshaw, mm. a player we talked about a lot of Brentford winning it for League One. Gary Roberts wasn't it? And Gary Roberts again, another player who's you know, has been given much acclaim this season by opposing managers and and, and teammates alike one just little one that i wanted to focus on though uh, one of the most uh, interesting parts of the night actually was the player in the community award and it went to shepherd wednesday's reader johnson who and they, they played a little video um kind of showing w- what he does and over the last 3 seasons uh, he has made over 100 visits to Local hospitals, children's hospitals, schools, working with um, with disabled children in in most cases, and you know, show this video and kind of the staff were talking about just how much he loves it and how much he puts into it, and you could see that he really did you know care passionately about giving something back to the community, and he's put some of his own money in as well to fund some uh, improvements to, to the facilities and, and treatment and stuff that these kids get, and it was it was heartwarming really because. I think we do all forget a lot of the time just how much you know good work goes on at clubs up and mm. down the country. How much time players, managers, staff put into making these things happen, and they, you know they don't have to do it he could quite easily sit at home take his money you know and, and maybe do the odd appearance here and there but that's over three seasons over a hundred appearances there's basically a whole month in each of the last three seasons that he's taken out you know and put his own money in as well so that was that was fantastic
1: you got to meet him as well I nice did guy ha-
2: I did have a chat with him later on during the evening it was a very surreal moment I, was, I had quite a lot of the free yeah, wine I was going uh, to say there you was talking to Reader Johnson who's a mountain of a man about uh, charity work and his new contract situation in the summer <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was second to drinking up. God point. knows what he thought of me at that stage, but um, he seemed like a very thoroughly nice chap. Lovely. Okay, right. Um, any more for any more? Um, there is a, I should mention one of the best moments of the night was when the um, App- Championship Apprentice of the Year award was announced. And. Gordon Taylor, the PFA chief executive, who was a staggeringly short man, <laughs> <laughs> barely see over the lectern. Um, he f- completely fluffed his lines. Oh no! Um, see, so obviously, you come on the stage and you say, "Right, the nominees are," and and then the music kicks Did in. He ever do John travolta, plays, travolta at the the Oscars, he, he, pronounced it wrong. No, 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 he didn't do that. Uh, he basically announced the winner oh, before no. the nominees are announced. <laughs> no, you oh, had one no. job, Gordon. One,
1: one job.
2: You, you only had one job. <laughs> but he, it was Mason Bennett, the Derby player, who won the award. He's and he about went. 30. He just rocked guy. up and went right there. Well, uh, Championship Apprentice of the Year is Mason. And then Nisha's was <laughs> like, no, God, no.
1: <laughs> Next year, I want to go. Okay, Can you sort it for next we will year. Try, yes. Okay, um, right. Okay, let's um, let's talk a bit about what, what's been going on in the last week. Uh, Jimmy, you at the KP on Saturday? Leicester three, Blackpool one. Uh, goals from Rio Mares, Wes Morgan, and Kevin Phillips. Kevin Phillips' goal, by the way. Oh, well, Mares' goal as well. Um, Sixteen games unbeaten, seventeen points clear third. In fact, Hull got promoted on seventy nine points last season. You're on eighty already, and uh, you need seventeen more to go up and nine wins from eleven to break Reading's points record. Can Leicester do it?
5: Yeah, I think on current form obviously we can, but I'm I'm less worried about the points record as long as we secure promotion. I, I think mean, that's already done though, fair, isn't it? If if we lose uh, yeah all but uh, at the end of the day if if we lose, you know, out on the, the the records and possibly even the title if Burnley catches, you know, if we kind of throw in a couple of sinking performances, they're not far behind us in chan- challenging for the title, but the, the Premier League football is the most important thing to us I think. So. Were well, you
1: doing the Poznan the on the Saturday? Place. I saw the no, I don't fan. really.
5: I, I don't really sit in a part. I sit in the cot, but not the kind of noisy bit of the cot. Like it, when Nick, I go do you sit near me, the I
2: man think. with the, the big fat man with the drum?
5: No, he's, he's on there. the other side. He's in. He's he's near the away fans, I think, on yeah. the other side. Um,
2: so we're behind the goal many <laughs> <laughs>
5: we're, we're behind the goal the goal where Leicester scored all three of their goals in the
1: second half so, um, yeah, I read um, Chris Dunlavey's column in the Football League paper about uh, various things at the weekend one of the things was, uh, was was Pearson and he mentioned that his contract's up in the summer is that true?
5: Yeah it's up in the summer but as is a lot of players' contracts okay. so the like of Kasper Schmeichel and I know when we had the journo from the Leicester Mercury on,
1: James Sharp was so. it?
5: James Sharp, that's the one. Um, he spoke about you know a number of high-profile players. You know the, the majority of our first team really are well, out of contract. I suppose they're going to wait but, and
2: see, but, weren't they? Well,
1: yeah, the only reason the only reason <laughs> yeah. I'm mentioning it is because here's a stat: Chris Hughton, Neil Warnock, Brian McDermott, and Malky Mackay in the last I don't know five or six years have all lost their jobs within a year of winning the championship title. So, Adkins as well. He went. I didn't win a title. No, today, no. But he went. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, surely they couldn't sack him or so sort of say, "Cheers for getting us up, Nigel. We're going to bring someone else in now."
5: No, no I, I, I don't think that's the way the owners would work.
2: And I don't. I think he he will be offered a new contract. Wouldn't surprise you, though, would that, it? That, I mean, I'm sure he'll get off. Yeah, you know, if he'll he'll take them up and he'll get the, and you know he'll lead them into the Premier League. There's, there's no doubt in in my mind or anyone's mind about that. I don't think, but in 12 months' time or or in nine months' time or whatever, if they're in the Premier League, really struggling down the bottom of the, of the division, the players that will inevitably be brought in in the summer don't work. There's every chance that Pearson could be out of a job. It's just, that's just the nature of, of going yeah. up. It's the nature of the beast. Sometimes you go up and, you know, it, it's just too much. You kind of almost feel overwhelm some people. And, and it's a shame because maybe some managers are victims of their own success and expectation exactly. levels get raised too high. I mean, this is all speculation. Who knows what will happen? But, you know, you, you would be, you do have to, in, in that, Position that Pearson's in, you always have to have one kind of, you know, eye on this happening. You must be at the yeah. back of your mind thinking, oh God, oh God, God! You know, it's a completely different challenge, and who knows what situation they could be in.
1: Below Leicester, then uh, Burnley two leads one. On Saturday, Birmingham did throw away a point at Birmingham in midweek last week with uh, Lee Clark doing the catch buyer at the end. Yes. Um, but uh, but they won two one on Saturday. They're fourteen unbeaten, and uh, they came from a goal down. Danny Ings obviously out with this uh, ankle upper ankle ligament damage for a few weeks. And Scott Arfield scored again. He's he's someone that's kind of gone under the radar. He's got seven goals now yeah. this season for Burnley. Well,
2: one of a number of players that you know. You think of someone like Dean Marnie, perhaps who's you know another sort of had a fairly average career to this point, but has performed really well this season in, in that Burnley team. Sean Dyche working wonders, really. Um, and another result where they came from behind, as you mentioned, they did it against Blackburn a few weeks back. Unfortunately for them, the point against Birmingham in the week, but I suppose not too bad, points away from those. <laughs> um, but um, did you see Sean Dyche do the thing? Are you Are going to mention that next? I'm going to mention it yeah. now. Here we go.
1: Have you heard this, Jim? You might have seen this, everyone. I haven't, no. I presume we can play this, this audio apologies to whoever owns it I think it's uh, I'm not quite sure it is actually I think it's um, Andy Ford is the YouTube video I'm looking at so uh, go and follow Andy Ford on YouTube anyway here's the uh, here's the video of a post-match press conference that Sean Dyche was doing after the game on Saturday so
0: to keep that focus maintain their belief in training maintain their work ethic so that when they are called upon they're ready great signs of it again today that's a fine if someone's phone's ringing that's a fine Mr Richardson, Mr. Richardson. <laughs> hello hello <laughs> Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, it's Sean Dyce, the manager of Burnley. Who's up? <laughs> <laughs> it's Sean Dyce, the manager of Burnley Football Club. There was a phone on my table and I'm actually doing an interview and you rang to disturb me, so I just started answer and see what you are disturbing me about. No worries. W- w- would you like your mate? Would you like your mate? Okay, you going out tonight? A few beers or what? <laughs> okay, decent. Take care. Bye. <laughs> well, done. see you later. I would love
1: to see you later at the end. Super. Brilliant. What I'm a great man. Well for the Premier League winner, yeah. I love that. I'm actually. You're in your burrito, have you? Are oh, you enjoying that? Game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Sean Dyche, great man, and uh, I'm sure Burnley are going to go on to get promoted. Uh, just below them, Derby, Reading, and Forest all involved in goalless draws. And um, the weekend, in fact, it was the first time in over four years that there were four nil nils in a single set of Championship fixtures. There's a stat for you. Uh, the clubs that benefited the most then were QPR Wigan and Brighton QPR beat Yeovil 3-0 two more for Ravel Morrison yeah Looking good, isn't Two he? lovely goals as well. Really Four nice in finishes. a week. He's got quality. Um, Jim, uh, it's important, I think, that QPL win this game in hand against Sheffield Wednesday midweek this week because they went to Brighton last midweek and lost. They need to pick up a bit of momentum a few wins in a row, don't they?
5: Yeah, I think after that win streak, I think it was five games, wasn't it? They really need to get that, um, that winning mentality back again and make sure that they make the most of that game in hand because that then puts them above Derby. And although if they win it, they would still be seven points behind Burnley in second, at least it puts pressure on Burnley and, you know, otherwise if you lose it. 10 points is a hell of a gap to make up in, in a relatively short period of time against a, a very informed team so they need to make sure they make the most of it
1: Wigan 8 wins in a row DC 3-1 win at Ipswich on fire absolutely fantastic and we talked about them last week but uh, they seem to uh, rely, they don't really have one player they rely on goals for they seem to come a couple from all, of all goals over the James
2: McLean, who i actually <laughs> forgotten was there actually, <laughs> until I saw him score uh, at the weekend um, so an, another very impressive result and, uh, and Brighton 2-0 win for them at Bolton Will Buckley yeah we, that was interesting goals. wasn't it because Bolton went into this game you know off the back of a really good spell of form but Brighton I was um, sitting next to uh, one of the guys from Skyback last night was a Brighton fan and I was chatting to him a lot and he was sort of saying about how much he's enjoying life under Oscar Garcia and compared to Gus Poyet, he's so much calmer there's none of the histrionics that you have with Poyet. and kind of sometimes they got the impression that it was all kind of all about Gus Poyet. and you know there was a lot of complaining about referees there's a lot of there was you know touchy touchline antics whereas Oscar Garcia is the kind of the model of calmness and just keeps everything ticking over nicely and you're playing really nice football, uh, and and you know it seems to be going quite well for them at the moment. And 17 clean sheets
1: this season, yeah. which I think is what they got in the entirety of last season. Uh, hat-trick for Jordan Rhodes back at his old club on Saturday. Uh, Blackburn winning 4-2 Huddersfield. Jim, let's have a look at the situation down the bottom. Uh, Yeovil obviously lost at the weekend. Uh, Charlton drew 0-0 with Millwall. And Birmingham not really out of trouble yet, are they, if you look at the table?
5: Well, no, especially not when you consider Charlton have got Three, possibly four games in handover teams like uh, Millwall, Doncaster, and Birmingham as well, because of their cut runs. Um, and, and obviously, the pitch that they've had has been. Uh, we
1: talked about it a lot already several today.
5: Several times. So, you know, if they can put together four or five points out of that uh, those extra four games and that pulls the likes so of Doncaster and certainly
1: Millwall
2: back into the. game Millwall are the ones Millwall are the ones yeah, that really got to be worried you know 0-0 nil, nil at home to your local rivals they're two not, wins you know, in 12 under Holloway real one goal in the last take, five games take three points there they just can't score they really they, they're absolutely the goals have completely and utterly dried up and you, you've even got people at you know, Millwall Holloway included sort of talking about relegation as if it's a Almost a foregone conclusion in some senses. Like Holloway has said previously that he'll stay at the club if we go down, and obviously they want to stay up. But it didn't, you know, strike me as fighting talk really, and. You, you would be worried for them. What about your boys though? Watford, great win against Barnsley. Yeah.
1: And was it five wins at home in a row with six. no Six wins at six home six, with no, no goals, goals conceded. conceded. Seven clean sheets nice in the little, last uh, nine games. Nice and, little run.
2: And Soninho always said when he first came in, I'm going to work on the defence. We might not be pretty for a while, but I'm going to get this defence sorted out. We're going to become harder to beat. We're going to come a lot tighter. And that's exactly what we've done. Uh, Zola's reign was ended by six consecutive defeats at home so oh. it's completely turned around the other way now and uh, away from home we are struggling a little bit we lost at Doncaster in the week with a last minute uh, winner uh, Renigi got sent off for a pathetic kick out at, <laughs> at Doncaster player deservedly sent off um, well Barnsley did contribute think, to their own downfall a little bit a few yeah, mistakes in that no, game a fantastic goal from Christian Patoccio in, in the second minute of the game um, and Troy Deeney is scoring his 16th goal of the season now, he's not hit the headlines like he did in the way he did last season but 16 goals still another you know, impressive return and I um, would be surprised if there wasn't some more interest in him in, in the summer, but I think we've left it too late for the playoffs. Okay, let's uh, let's
1: crack on to uh, to League One. Uh, Wolves nil, Shrewsbury nil, and brilliant point you've got to say for Shrewsbury, given the run that Wolves have been on. Uh, they stay top though. Uh, Wolves, not Shrewsbury, that is uh, just below them. Uh, Eight thousand three hundred thirty-five at the Match Room. Uh, Jim, Ferrari at Neil Brentford, one live on uh, Sky on Saturday. Orient's biggest gate at home for twenty-one years, uh, but quite a damaging defeat. Well, potentially. Russell Slade wasn't too happy, was he, with uh, Mark War and the way that uh, Brentford celebrated at the end
5: No it certainly wasn't but I think there was quite a lot I've saw, I mean I don't follow a huge amount of Brentford fans or Orient fans on Twitter but there seems to be a lot of needle about this game beforehand as well I think there's quite a lot of kind of Brentford fans and Orient fans having this real disdain for each other so I think that atmosphere especially with the game being on Sky and stuff it builds it up more in a huge crowd and but it's a priceless win for Brentford if you look at where they are now, kind of sitting pretty in second place with two games in hand over Orient yeah. who started like an absolute train this year. That could be really decisive in, in kind of t- ten games' time.
2: It's a massive result, and of course Brentford lost that big game against Wolves, didn't they, you know, a few weeks back. So they kind of made up for it and, and taken advantage of their rivals this time. But do you remember, of course, we went to the return fiction, we didn't did. we? Earlier on in the season. Brentford was struggling in mid table. Rosler was still there at that time. Orient were absolutely flying. They hadn't lost at that point. I think we haven't it was a hundred still a hundred percent record, wasn't it? At that point, um, I think it might have
5: just been so that they'd it's, drawn a game. Yeah. They won 2 0, didn't they? I think that yeah. was. But I mean, I it just it shows touches. you. 10 wins in 11. Kind know of how
2: much has changed since then, really, hasn't it? You know, Warburton's come in and they've been flying, and you know, a really good one-nil victory for them.
1: Playoff-wise, uh, Preston are playing Sheffield United tonight as we record. Sheffield United on this incredible run, so Preston probably lose that. although
2: it's nil-nil. Uh, Preston, uh, we're watching this game as we've been recording. Preston look well, certainly first half absolutely battered. Sheffield United could have had two penalties, a host of chances. Sheffield United have come back into it in the second half, still 0-0 With what seventy-seven minutes gone as we as we speak, but yeah, Preston will be disappointed if they don't. Get the points off that first half.
1: Peterborough won 2-0 at MK Dons. That was a big win for them because the gap was sort of quite small between them. Peterborough been quite up and down, but two goals for do do do. Let's all do the Conga. British yeah. Samba longer, back with two more. He's had a fantastic, hell of a season. 27 season. in all comps yeah, now. Really good. Uh, so the top six in League One look kind of set in stone. Down the bottom though, much more interesting. Colchester lost at Crawley. They just won one in nine. Bristol City, Oldham, Carlisle, Stevenage, Crew, and Shrewsbury all drew. Um, so the result of the weekend, arguably, Tramere 3, Notts County 2. What a goal that was from Steve Jennings to win it. And um, it is looking, Jim, a, a bit bleak for for Notts County. I mean, we've all spent time in Nottingham. They're a good club, but it looks like they're going to be uh, heading back down to the third tier.
5: Yeah, I mean, they took a huge gamble. I think we at the time it sorry. was a huge gamble, didn't they, at the time. And we said that it was going to be one of those gambles which was high risk, but they felt that Sean Derry was the right person at the time to come in and take the the club on it is a massive risk appointing someone with relatively little coaching experience I mean the guy was still registered wasn't he to play as a player um, earlier on in the season I think it was at Millwall so it's a risk that hasn't really come off they started well um, but they just kind of dropped away a bit and that defeats really kind of not a nail in the coffin as such, but there's a huge points gap to of to, to Carlisle and Tranmere now. So they're really going to struggle to get out of those relegation spots.
1: Did you see the goal from the halfway line by Jake Hessenthaler yes. for Gillingham? Fantastic. What a goal that was. So... i dad never scored one like that. <laughs> <for sure. laughs> that is true. Um, if you missed that, that was the the game in midweek last week against Coventry. Uh, League 2, Chesterfield, um, 3-0 winners against Oxford. Two for the player of the year, as you mentioned, in League 2, Gary Roberts. Um, uh, Chesterfield stayed top, but Oxford, this is interesting. they're uh, six games without a win. They had a 13 point safety cushion in the playoffs, and that's been cut down to, uh, to four. You've got York, who we've talked about obviously uh, today, Plymouth, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and Hartlepool are on a bit of a run. They won 4 nil at the weekend. And uh, I put something out on Twitter earlier. Here's a couple of uh, tweets. We've got Adam Brown, uh, Oxford fan here. York will definitely finish above us. We're woeful. Next Monday on Sky at South End against Oxford, the two imploding teams. It's there for York if they want it. Zabba, eight. Oxford won't. Uh, reach the playoffs if it continues like this absurd that they haven't got a manager at this stage of the season Mm. so uh, Mickey Lewis was the the caretaker wasn't he when Chris Wilder left but
2: it's not really gone to plan in the last few weeks no and you look back and we raised some eyebrows at the time didn't we with Wilder leaving and choosing to go to the bottom club Northampton uh, you know swapping a potential promotion uh, place for, for a relegation battle was confusing and it doesn't look like it's worked out that well for Oxford well he's doing alright for Northampton I think six games unbeaten uh, but uh,
1: Oxford uh, will obviously need to get someone in that game and I, I was actually there watching Southend on Saturday I went to Rootshall for Southendbury proper old school stadium by the way Rootshall <laughs> proper old school stadium not a great view and a trap game as well it was 0-0 um, but yeah two sides kind of plodding along not really doing much One did thing, you go to the pier? no I, I only got there sort of just after kick off so and then I kind of left nice. straight away to come back to London but um <laughs> Um, one thing I was going to mention, I was actually going to do this in a bit, but we'll do it now. At half time, David Flitcroft, the Bury manager, substituted our goalkeeper, Brian Jensen, who's 38 years old. You might beast. remember him. The beast, yeah. Ex Burnley player. Uh, I think West Brom as well. Yeah. Um, in the first half, um, he hit four goal kicks, I think, or three goal kicks straight into touch. Obviously, not purposely. And at half time, he wasn't injured. He got hauled off for tactical reasons to be replaced.
5: Tactically unable to distribute the ball. And We well, got replaced
1: aspect. by a 19-year-old uh, called Reese Charles Cook, who'd never played a league game before. I think he used to be on the books at Arsenal when he was a bit younger. His first ever game, we're in the middle of a relegation battle, he subs our 38-year-old goalkeeper at half-time for a 19-year-old in a tactical substitution. Have you ever known that? A goalkeeper be subbed tactically? And um, by one mistake, he was no. fine. But... I just think Dican-
2: that's. Dicanio subbed off West Fotheringham didn't he? For that's tr- actually, yeah, that's days. true. That was after he just,
5: conceded four goals or something, I mean, wasn't yeah. it? They were, they were getting absolutely
2: thumped at it that point. It does happen, I suppose. I mean, he's within his right to do so. If, if a player's not playing well and half time, he changed yeah. the team and he didn't concede, did he? So, he didn't. He was great on the interview.
1: To. Look on YouTube at his interview. He was absolutely loving it. Best day of his life, he called it. Well, um, it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. And his family were there and stuff. So, yeah, good on him. Uh, elsewhere at the top, uh, Rochdale won 2 1 against Akronton. They were 1 0 two- uh, down in that game, came back to win 2 1. Uh, Fleetwood a uh, saw off Portsmouth. Jed Wallace got a nice go in that game Burton Albion Drew with AFC Wimbledon and Scunny what about this Jim 21 games unbeaten Rusk Wilcox still hasn't lost
5: they're absolutely flying I like Scunthorpe because I've, I've uh, I think they were on TV a couple of are times are they flying and sort sort
2: place, of, like, the amount of jaws they've had they're kind of hovering <laughs> well, aren't
5: they they kind of yeah alright hovering rather than flying I think maybe because my expectations when you say Scunthorpe are perhaps a little bit lower than I thought they would be sitting in second, but I've seen them play a few times and they, they do play some decent stuff. Chesterfield have come back into it now, haven't they? Look it. It's really tight at the top there. I was I was just going to pick up on Oxford as well. Um, what you were saying about Mickey Lewis, is their is there chairman just going to watch them drop out of the, the playoffs? I know we've spoken about their need to get in a manager before, but I've seen interviews with him in the last few weeks and he's kind of said, if Mickey Lewis carries on winning, he's going to get the job full time. Mickey Lewis then goes on to not win about six games in a row and he just kind of plods along and says, oh, we're over halfway there. By the time you're fully the way, <laughs> mate, it'll be the summer and you won't be in the playoffs and you'll be playing League Two next year. Get your well, finger out.
1: Well, yeah, because they've been in the playoffs all season as well,
2: so yeah. And he's had a...
5: that job for over 11. Well, it's 11 games now because the bookmakers actually paid
1: out. On Sean Dyson's job permanently. <laughs> Whose phones that? Sorry, Sorry. my
2: phone's off. It must be yours.
1: My phone's all the way over here. Sorry, Jim. Ooh. That's right,
2: mate. What is that? Oh, it's a phone. <laughs> We've established that. Right, hang on. Who's calling you? Somebody. Half ho- past nine on record. a Monday night. There you go. Let's go. Who Sorry. was it? The one, no one. Hello. Shame.
5: No, Name no, and shame. No one's called. DC. You should have answered it,
1: Sean Dyche <laughs> <laughs> Um Right. Before we uh, before we go, uh, we should say, um, Torquay, uh, got a big win against Rochdale midweek last week, but they uh, they lost at the weekend at Cheltenham They're going to be without Joss Labadie, who's been banned by the FA for ten games. They're appealing f- though I for think. biting, and uh, they're appealing this. This was uh, during a game against Chesterfield a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think Ollie Banks, the Chesterfield player, made a complaint on Twitter. Um, what do we think about that? Ten game ban for biting. Was that the same as Suarez? I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. He, probably it. not
5: the best way to air it on Twitter, though. From the you know the, uh, the Chesterfield player. player. I'm hopefully, not seeing the bike hopefully he made a complaint for official channels before <laughs> yeah. at, at replying him on Twitter and that's a good point
1: um, it's still so close down there I don't want to say anything that's going to jinx the table but there's a lot of teams that could still go down uh, Jim thank you very much for coming on you're welcome hopefully we'll see you in the flash at some point in the next couple of weeks
5: yeah next week it should be fine lovely lovely and, uh, stuff and make a welcome return hopefully
1: alright mate take care we'll speak to you next okay. week uh, DC thank you as ever you can go and sleep no off your problem. hangover now uh, if you want to get in touch uh, it is uh, sandcloud.com/ no that's not the right one want to get in touch it's at waggy podcast slash waggy podcast uh, for all the audio um, and if you just want the interview separately and you don't want us yabbering on like this then uh, you can get those on there I highly um, recommend them <laughs> blogs and we are going up UK. that's it audible offer if you want a free audio book audible slash going up that's it we will speak to you on the show in about seven days time this is the we are going up podcast we've got the football league covered planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more